let's put our hands together for Dr. Todd Brewer. Thank you, Dave, for that uh, wonderful introduction and for using my proper title, <laughs> Matt. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's so great to be with you all. I have, uh, it's been COVID and everything. It's been a long time since I've been, you know, talking to people. And so this is just splendid, uh, which is to say uh, a little bit of grace as I figure this out, okay? I'm out of practice. So the title of my talk this morning is, if Jesus had a Twitter account, and we're trying to work this, there we go. Jesus had a Twitter account. It's, it's probably a bit cute of a title, but it's actually asking a not so hypothetical question. If uh, Jesus, equipped with that much envied blue check mark, sent tweets, would he, with his perfect righteousness, take part in our righteous anger? Is righteous anger even a category he would condone? I've been thinking about this topic for a while now. A few years ago, uh, Professor Alan Jacobs spoke at the Mockingbird Conference in New York. One of, one of his lines that he said is that the, uh, the seven deadly sins, all those wonderful things, uh, the seven deadly sin of our culture right now is not lust, much to everyone's surprise. He said, it's not lust, it's wrath. It's wrath. And I think this observation has been, in the years since, more than validated. And so along these lines, I want to look at Twitter is basically a euphemism for wrath. Uh, someone put this together a few years ago, and I think it's brilliant. Twitter has become something of a social stereotype for the place where people go to be angry with other people. Of the seven deadly sins of social media, Twitter is the virtual place of wrath. Instagram is the place where you go for vanity. Netflix is for sloth, of course. Tinder is for lust. DoorDash didn't exist when this was made. <laughs> but Twitter is the place you go to vent. It's the place you go to vent for co at companies for their terrible customer service. Sorry, these have been collapsed. Uh, so the tweet on the far left is, Will, Will I am complaining about how his seats were given away on the flight. Or uh, the second one is from, uh, well, do you guys see what cereal that is? Cinnamon Toast Crunch? This was a big deal uh, on Twitter about a month ago. Someone found shrimp tails in their Cinnamon Toast Crunch. <laughs> and they decided to tweet at it. Cinnamon Toast Crunch in their infinite wisdom decided to take part in this conversation and said, no, it is not shrimp tails, this is sugar. At which point, biologists volunteered to try to take down Cinnamon Toast Crunch to confirm that this is, in fact, genetically shrimp tails. And then the last one is uh, from one of my favorite UK grocery stores, Sainsbury's. They sell sandwiches. Someone said, Dear, dear Sainsbury's, the chicken in my, ch uh, in my sandwich uh, tastes like it was beaten to death by Hulk Hogan. Was it? And they, of course, respond, really sorry it wasn't up to scratch. 
we'll replace Mr. Hogan with, Mr. with the ultimate warrior on our production line. So of all the emotions expressed on social media, anger is by far the most viral. This is a graphic produced by a 2010 study on how various emotions of, of social media were spread, measuring the speed and reach of those emotions. It's color-coded, it's quite wonderful. Uh, blue is sadness, appropriately. Green, not a lot of green, is joy. Black is disgust. And red is anger. The study had this to say about their findings. Anger has a stronger correlation between different users than that of joy. While sadness's cor uh, correlation is trivial. Interesting. This indicates that anger could propagate fast and broadly in the network which could explain why real-world events about food security, government bribery, or demolition scandal are always the hot trend. What they found is that if someone posted an angry uh, uh, post, it elicited a, a response of anger on the part of the followers, more so than sadness, joy, or disgust. Anger is viral. An easy illustration of this can be found on your local community Facebook group, where complaints garner far more attention than pretty photos of local birds. Uh, during lockdown, you know, we were all living online, and I decided I was going to join my Facebook group, my local community Jersey City Heights Facebook group. This was the worst decision of, of my entire lockdown experience. Not only because the algorithm, the algorithm, if you, as you engage with it more, it sends you it more, right? Well, this place was a place where everyone was complaining about the sidewalks and the potholes and loud neighbors and the feral cat colony that exists on my block and gives my dogs ticks. I did not send that, uh, send that post because the person who is my neighbor is uh, on the group as well. So I... <laughs> But whether it be Fox News evening commentators or New York op-ed page, page writers, outrage and contempt get far more eyeballs than nuance or more fact-based reporting. It's often said that if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. But the reverse is also true. If you want people to pay attention, make them angry. Anger is the currency of social media, rewarding outrage over nuance and revenge over forgiveness. It is the place for clapbacks, subtweets, dunks, rants, trolls, and mobs. It's the go-to place to vent frustrations and voice indignation. It is angry. But of course, this digital world also parallels our own. This is my favorite scene in the, in the movie Inside Out, by the way, where they show the inside of uh, the father's brain. <laughs> uh, joy, sadness, and disgust have been replaced by anger. <laughs> so of course this digital world also parallels the real world. After all, 
It is us who are tweeting. It is us who are retweeting, posting, commenting, liking. The digital world may promote our rage, but the effect is still the same, particularly as the lines between the digital world and the real world blur even more so during this last year. Writing in 2019 in The Atlantic, uh, one writer compared the psychological studies on anger written 40 years ago with that of today. And he observed that anger has become less episodic and more persistent. It is a constant drumbeat in our lives. It is directed less often at people we know and more often at distant groups that are easy to demonize. These far-off targets may, be, may or may not have earned our ire. Either way, they're apt to be less invested in resolving our differences. Without the release of catharsis, our anger has built within us, exerting an unwanted pressure that can have a dark consequence. The desire to not merely be heard, but to hurt those we believe have wronged us. Rather than fits of rage, temporarily transforming ourselves into, wait for it, ah, the Hulk, where we lose our rational ca uh, capacity and then calm down and return back to the good doctor. Rather than having a release valve with minor annoyances, that uh, these things can elicit disproportionate responses. Showing our anger online does not lessen its passion, but intensifies it with affirming likes and shares by our fellow rageaholics. A feedback loop is created by like-minded praise. And at just the moment when our blood pressure might lower, when our heart rate slows down, something else comes along to make us angry again. The news cycle changes, something happens in our lives elsewhere, and the monster is alive and well again. So, perhaps it's not surpri unsurprising that when we turn to Christianity within our emotional, angry selves, that Jesus we seek looks a lot like the Hulk. Come on, this, this picture is just funny. I, I, I mean, it's a, I love it. <laughs> led, led by our anger, when we look to the Gospels, uh, we find a Jesus created in our own image who justifies our scorn with his own subtweets, dunks, and rants. The meek and mild portrait of Jesus is the stuff of childhood fairy tales, we are often told. Jesus was a mere human, after all. So he must have gotten angry like the rest of us. Now, when I first started looking into this question, I, I thought that I would find some real concrete examples of Jesus getting angry at people. And I thought, you know what, there's going to be a few places. And what's going to happen, what I'm going to end up saying is, 
uh, you know, Jesus gets angry every now and then, but if you look at the whole of his life, he's not angry that often, you know? We're angry all the time. Jesus is only angry occasionally. Uh, but that's not what I found, uh, unfortunately or unfortunately. My original hypothesis was disproved by uh, as my, my constant searches for varied, various different, uh, well, throughout the Gospels. What I found was that in all of the four Gospels, there are precisely two places where Jesus' emotional state is recorded and displays something that might approximate to anger. In Mark 3, when a man with a withered hand is brought to Jesus for healing, it's the Sabbath. There are people there who do not want him to heal, who do not want him to do work on the Sabbath. And he knows this. And so he looks around the room, and in anger, he looks, it is said. He shoots the Pharisees and Herodians a scornful look. Not, though, this, the scornful look is, is wrathful look, angry look. But not because he's feeling angry, but because he is grieved at their hardness of heart, Mark tells us. So that's one. The second one, in Mark 10 when his disciples prevent uh, children from seeing Jesus, he is, quote, displeased. Perhaps annoyed, we might say, by their actions. Now, a brief moment of vexation and giving the side eye to some dudes who really want to kill you in that moment, that's a shaky foundation to build the case for Jesus' righteous anger. Now, I know what you are all thinking, because you exist on the internet too. I, at least I hope you, I think you do. I see you in person. You are all thinking right now, what about the cleansing of the temple? Right? If there's any moment when Jesus got angry, surely that was going to be it. In popular consciousness, this is the most famous example used to promote an angry Jesus. And on this point, there are all the memes. What would Jesus do? He made a whip. And this is my, uh, my favorite one. When someone makes you angry, keep calm and think of what would Jesus do. But remember that throwing tables upside down and chasing people with a whip is a possibility. If you get angry, please don't turn over tables at me. But here's the problem with this. This is actually not what the text says. One scholar has deemed Jesus' action to be a temple tantrum. <laughs> and to be fair, it is quite the spectacle, isn't it? He, you know, in John, he makes this whip. He doesn't make a whip in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John, he makes a whip, and he drives out the cattle. And the owners of the cattle are left running after the cows and things that, that have left. And in Mark, he causes such a spectacle that he prevents anyone from moving in and out of the temple. The, the implication being that sacrifices themselves have stopped. He's, he's doing something quite impressive here. He's overturning tables. Coins are scattering on the stone. People can hear it. But do these actions require anger 
to be performed. Do the Gospels record that Jesus is angry in this moment? There is a book that just came out uh, by someone by the name of F. Scott Spencer. It's called The Passions of the Christ. And he had this to say. He's looking at all the various emotions of Jesus. He said, The precise nexus of Jesus' physical, mental, and emotional feelings is not altogether clear particularly the extent to which anger fuels his actions. Just because Jesus enters the temple intent on making a scene doesn't mean he executes it with cool, calm efficiency, but allowing for the surges of adrenaline and tinges of perhaps anger, that does not turn the episode into a fit of pique. He knows exactly what he's doing there is calculated method to the madness. You see, Mark, Matthew, and Luke's record is fairly businesslike. He came to Jerusalem, went into the temple, and began to drive out the money changers. It's very economical, it's short, it's compact. There's no insight into whether or not Jesus is angry in this moment. And the Gospel of John connects Jesus' temple disruption with his crucifixion. It is zeal for your house that has consumed me. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me, as the, uh, as the uh, quotation would be extended. His body will be destroyed and raised three days later. In other words, Jesus is call- causing a scene, but the inference that he's angry in the process is not, uh, it's not there. It is a projection. In this incident and elsewhere in Jesus' life, we tend to see an angry Jesus because we want to or are perhaps culturally conditioned to. When he debates with the Jewish leaders of the day, we conjecture a shouting match in a courtroom. We read the phrase, "'O you of little faith,' and we infer a paternal impatience with his disciples. A, quote, stern rebuke from Jesus comes across to us as the outburst of an overworked, exasperated elementary school teacher. We, I would suggest, lack the interpretive creativity to imagine other emotional qualities Jesus might have exhibited in these scenes. We who are angry see anger. But what, what other possibilities might there be? Why can't a debate merely be a spirited discussion? Or perhaps he was uh, saddened of his, by his disciples' lack of faith. He's forlorn, oh you of little faith. Or perhaps maybe he, uh, he said these words with all of the love and playfulness of a parent who sees their infant fall as they try to stand up for the hundredth time. Oh, you of little faith. And could not a stern rebuke simply convey a firmness in Jesus' tone of voice? His words of woe, far from necessarily communicate rage, convey seriousness and urgency if not desperate lament. 
In Matthew 22, the, or sorry, 23, the extended woes that Jesus has about the scribes and the Pharisees, the very next section is, if you look at your Bible headings, right, you have the woes, the very next section, unbroken, continued conversation, is the lament over Jerusalem. So you're left with the question, which is it? <laughs> is this pure rage, as we might think it, and then he turns on a dime to lament? No. I think he saw exactly what was going on with all of the urgency and desperation and sadness of, what, of, a, of a world which is going off the rails. Now, the emotional life of Jesus is not one of undisturbed serenity. And this is where the kind of the meek and mild stoic Jesus is not true. No, he was not fully uh, kind of in control of his emotions and had no emotional life. He was moved with pity. He felt distressed or dismayed. He had compassion on the crowd for they were like sheep without a shepherd. He felt anguished by his impending death. But anger? Not so much. The one who preached that anger against your brother is the same as murder seems to have practiced what he preached. There is a clear disconnect here between Jesus' own emotional state and our own penchant for anger. The righteous Jesus did not manifest itself in anger. Anger is not a fruit of the Spirit. Now, if you look at cognitive and psychological studies of anger, they'll tell you that anger has utility. And this is, I think, very uh, culturally um, prevalent. Anger is useful. Use your anger. Ang anger is energizing. You must find a vent for your anger. Make it healthy. And, but ang it's a tool that is helpful in use in moderation. They say that anger is an emotion that has many stimuli. It is the emotion that arises to the violations of norms, personal offenses, or when a situation is illegitimate, wrong, unfair, contrary to what ought to be. Anger is a personal subconscious barometer, one that informs us of so that something isn't right. Anger, then, is closely tied to notions of fairness. What we, become, what, what we become angry about reflects our personal, almost instinctive sense of right and wrong. Those of you who have children, what happens if one child takes the toy of another child? That child becomes angry. Why? Because it's their toy. What happens if your airline double books your seat and you miss your flight. You go on Twitter. <laughs> or what if you make a mistake and there's no one to blame but yourself? You get angry at yourself. This is perhaps why notions of anger and judgment are so closely intertwined. The Greek word for anger is sometimes also translated as wrath. 
It's the same word. Our passion for righteousness can be the very occasion of our wrath. The things we are most certain about are simultaneously the same things we get the most angry about. Anger is the emotional manifestation of the law. And just like the law, it is the emotion of condemnation, one that brings death and is incapable of creating what it seeks. Now, not everyone thinks this, um, of course. Uh, one of my favorite uh, quotes from Aristotle's Neomachian Ethics uh, is on, on anger on this subject is, he says, uh, getting angry is easy and anyone can do it. But doing it uh, to the right person in the right amount at the right time for the right end and in the right way is not easy, nor can any, everyone do it. He thinks he's trying to thread a very fine needle. He's assuming too much of people, that anger is a tool that we are capable of wielding without, uh, without uh, inflicting undue uh, punishment. However the righteous, righteousness of ang one's anger, uh, the book of James tells us that it does not produce the righteousness of God. And we know this from daily life. Um, if you get angry at your child who has just stolen the toy from your other child, uh, are they going to give it back? If you respond with anger to a teenager who has snuck out in the middle of the night to go God knows where, will they voluntarily do not do so in the future? Uh, I want to imagine, want you, want you to imagine with me a, a first date, and I, I want you to tell me how it went. In this first date, you have two people, uh, and uh, the guy will say, uh, is they sit down, and he's annoyed with the waiter, and then he's annoyed about the, the, the menu, and then he's annoyed that the food is, uh, uh, is arriving too late, and then he's annoyed with you and your conversation. You've been talking for too long about your job, and he really wants to talk about his job. Then the food comes, and it's cold, and he's angry. And then the, the check comes, and there's been an unexpected charge, and he's not happy that he's going to be now paying $120 when he thought it was $100. And he goes, he picks up the check. Do you see him again? Does anger produce love? No. <laughs> That's the obvious an answer. I think this helps explain, by the way, why Jesus does not become angry in the way we, we expect, if at all. He was not sent into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. If John the Baptist foretold of a coming anger who holds a winnowing fork in his hand, who will baptize with fire, who will vanquish the unclean Gentiles and finally bring peace in the world through the shedding of the blood of the guilty. The anger of Jesus is deferred until the judgment of the world at the end of the age. 
He baptizes with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He did not vanquish the Gentiles with violence, but converted them through love and mercy. And in his last days, it was not Jesus who was inflamed with righteous anger, but the crowds. As Jesus stood peaceably before Pilate, it was the angry mob who shouted, crucify him. He takes their righteous anger upon himself in exchange for forgiveness. The peace he brought into the world did not come through the shedding of the blood of the guilty. No, it came through the shedding of the blood of the innocent. Thank you so much. That's what, that's, that's what I have.